0: Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. What a story. I uh, got given this a couple of months ago as the topic that I was going to be preaching on and uh, been wrestling with it for a little while. And there's, there's so much stuff that's packed into this story. So many different angles, t- so many different themes that you could draw out. I could probably speak to you for maybe three or four hours on all the stuff that's in this story. Matt's told me not to do that, which instantly makes me want to do it, but I won't. What I want to talk to you about is right there in verse 1. It says, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Now, this verse tells us that the word of the Lord was rare, and it's the word of the Lord that I want to focus on. What does that mean? I mean, why is is it important that it's rare? Why is it a big deal? So, to give you a little context, my name's Dave. I'm married to a beautiful woman called Rianne, and um, the best way for our relationship to grow is for us to communicate to each other. Like the bedrock of our relationship is our communication. Now, I need Rianne to speak to me if I'm going to get to understand her a little bit more. She needs to tell me how she's feeling about decisions that we're going to be making in the next few months or years. She needs to tell me how she's reacted to decisions that I made and didn't tell her about. She needs to um, talk to me about her dreams. Like, does she want to have kids? When does she want to have kids? How many kids... Have we got that in the budget? Those kind of things. And when Rhiann speaks to me about these things, she's displaying to me her character and her personality. It helps me to get to understand her. Now, the same is true with God. When God speaks, that's how he reveals his character and his personality to us. It's, it's through the word of the Lord that we come to understand God. Just going to give you a few examples from throughout Scripture Genesis chapter one, really famous. God says, let there be light, and there was light. Like, God says, God's word comes out of his mouth. He says, let there be light, and there was light. Like, there's no life in the whole universe if light doesn't exist. I mean, doesn't that just show us how powerful God is, how creative he is? He comes up with the concept of light, and he just speaks into being. Isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word, so this is God speaking, so is my word that goes out of my mouth, it will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So this tells me that when God's word goes out of his mouth, it bears fruit, and it also tells me that God has plans, God has desires and purposes that he wants to achieve. Probably most famously and most crucially would be John chapter one, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, he was with God in the beginning. So John says the true picture of the word of God is the word himself. The true picture of the word of the Lord is Jesus. And when Jesus comes, what he's doing is he comes and he makes his dwelling among us to reveal God's character and God's personality to us, to reveal what God's plan is for the world. Just when Rhian communicates with me, she shows me, what her character and her personality is like. It's the same with God. The word of the Lord, God speaking and revealing himself. It's a massive deal in the Bible. But what we've just seen at the beginning of this story is the word of the Lord is rare. Do you, do you ever feel like the word of the Lord is, is rare in your life? Maybe you're here for the first time and me talking about God's word or God speaking is just completely alien to you. I mean, you might not even think that God even speaks. Or you might be here and you're a Christian and you say, yes, I believe God speaks, but he must be on a different frequency or something because whenever I'm ready to listen to him, I just get static and, and silence. And my hope is that today, what you'll come to see is why God's word is important, why he speaks to us, but also, how we can listen to him and how to respond, so we 've just had chapter one, uh, sorry, chapter three verses one to ten read to us. I just want to give you a little bit of context around that. So it says, the Word of the Lord is rare; there were not many visions now, in the Old Testament, God would kind of communicate to his people generally through an appointed prophet uh, god 's word would come to that prophet often in a vision, and then the prophet would recount it to God's people. That's often how God communicated. Now, at the beginning of this chapter, we see that process just isn't really happening. God doesn't have a prophet, and therefore his word and his visions are rare. So why is this the case? Well, you might remember a few weeks back, Matt, in in the first talk where he introduced the series said that the book of 1 Samuel follows on from a different book in the Bible called Judges. And in Judges, you see a cycle happening again and again. The cycle is Israel, God's people, rebel against God. God rebukes them. Israel repents. And then God restores them. Israel rebels against God. God rebukes them. Israel repents and God restores them. Israel, and it just goes on and on and on, over and over and over again. And it climaxes at the end, the final verse of the book of Judges. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. And what this verse is really telling us is that Israel, God's people, have chosen to reject God as their king are saying, we don't want to listen to you anymore. We don't want to have you as king over our lives. We don't want you to tell us how to live our lives. We're not going to listen to that. We want to be king over our own lives. We want to live lives the way we want to, not the way you want to. And this kind of goes right through into 1 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we meet kind of three characters. We meet a guy called Eli, who's the high priest, the, the leader of God's people, and he's got two sons called Hophni and Phinehas. They're also priests, and when Eli dies, they're gonna be the next in charge in Israel. And chapter two kind of tells us what these guys are like, and it's not really a very pretty story. So verse 12 in chapter two says, Eli, uh, sorry, Hophni and Phinehas have no regard for the Lord. They don't, they don't care about God. They don't love God. They don't fear God. They don't listen to him. Later on, it says that, I mean, part of the way that God's people were, were meant to come before God was to offer burnt sacrifices. They'd burn some meat, and it would be a sign of peace or of fellowship to God. Now, Hophni and Phineas are going around, and they're taking the meat as it's being burned, and they're going, We're going to eat this instead. You're not, you, you, know, you don't need to burn that. We're going to eat it. And when God's people say, please, don't, don't take the meat. This is really important to us. It's how we're meant to meet with God. They go, if you don't give us the meat, we'll just take it by force. These are Israel's leaders. Even worse, it says that they're sleeping with women at the entrance to the tabernacle, now, the tabernacle, and in the, in, later on in the Bible it would be the temple, is the place where God's presence dwells. And part of the job of the priests is to keep the tabernacle pure. But you see, in this story it says that they're actively bringing impurity in into the tabernacle. And you might be thinking, well, okay, but you've, you've got Eli on hand, Eli will save the day. Unfortunately, Eli is fairly weak. When he sees what his sons are doing wrong, he doesn't really rebuke them. He doesn't really restrain them. I mean, he barely gives these guys a slap on the wrist. And at the end of chapter two, we see God talking through a man to Eli and saying, you have honored your sons more than you've honored me. You've shown more respect to these two wicked men than you have to the God of the universe. You've chosen to listen to them more than you've chosen to listen to me. And God says that he's gonna judge Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas because of that. I mean, what a mess. What a mess these guys are creating in Israel. Fair enough, the whole of Israel's rejected God as their king, but it's compounded twofold when you see the action and inaction of the leaders, the people that are meant to set the example. What today's chapter tells us is how God is going to respond to that situation and to his people. And what it tells us is that God is actually going to bring his word back to Israel. Now what that shows us is God is acting out of a gracious and compassionate heart. His people have rejected him, but he says, I'm going to bring my word back because you need it because I love you, and because you're my chosen people. And throughout this story, we see God bringing his word and his desire to restore Israel. I mean, are you here today and you think, I'm just, I'm just so far from God at the moment? Or if you, if you knew the stuff that I've done in my past, I mean, God's not gonna, God's not gonna come and speak to me. God's not gonna come and restore me I really hope this story is going to encourage you that our God is gracious and compassionate and his grace covers a multitude of sins and he can step into any and every situation. So how's he going to do it? How is he going to bring his word back to Israel? Well, if we read on in the passage, starting at verse two, it says, One night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am, and he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. So Samuel went, down, went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood and calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. So I think this story tells us a few things. Firstly, I think it demonstrates how kind of out of touch Eli's become with the idea of, of listening to God and, and hearing God's voice. So Eli's the high priest. If there's anybody in the nation of Israel at the time that God was going to speak to, it was going to be Eli. But he's just really not getting it. Like, there's a voice calling Samuel. It's not Eli. Eli just goes, well, I don't know what it is. Go back and lie down. I mean, he's, he's had so many years of tuning himself out, of not listening to God. It's not the first thing that he thinks about. Secondly, I think it shows us, I mean, God shows so much of his character in this story. Verse 2 and verse 3 says that he calls Samuel when Samuel's at home about to go to bed. He's just going through his usual daily routine, he's lying down in his usual place. And God calls Samuel in that situation. Samuel's not doing anything special, he isn't really anywhere special. Is that how you picture God calling you today? Do you feel you need to prep yourself before God can speak to you? Do you feel you need to be somewhere special or you need to be someone special? I mean, the story says that the Lord just calls Samuel when he's at home in bed. And God not only speaks to Samuel, but he uses Samu- He calls Samuel's name. He says, Samuel, Samuel. Verse seven tells us that Samuel doesn't yet know the Lord, but we see that God knows Samuel. God knows Samuel intimately, and he calls him by his name, like a father would call a child. I mean, do you know that today, that even if you don't know God, God knows your name, and he knows you intimately? And then we see in verse 10 that Or we see throughout the story that, I mean, God is patient and he's persevering with Samuel. Samuel doesn't quite understand what's going on. But God's like, I'm just going to keep calling you. I'm just going to keep calling you. I'm just going to keep calling you. And then, like, if I'm in the story, as Samuel doesn't get it, I'd, I'd, like, raise my voice a bit more. And I'd just start yelling. I'd be like, Samuel, come on. (laughs) like, get this. It's simple. But what God actually does is he comes and he stands in Samuel's presence. Now, in the Old Testament, God, and Samuel would have known this, but God is like distant. He's holy. He's set apart. He's perfect. In the tabernacle, his presence would have dwelt behind a curtain about the span of your hand, and only the high priest would go in there, and there'd be another section, and only certain people were allowed in there. Like, Samuel might not know God, but he knows that this God is distant. But what we see in this story is God comes and stands in Samuel's presence. Now, there's no indication that Samuel sees God. Like, if you see God in the Bible, generally you fall to the floor, and you're like, oh, woe to me, I'm undone. Like, Samuel doesn't react like that. Hey, it's in Isaiah, it's not even, it's not even unbiblical. Samuel doesn't react like that, so he doesn't, he doesn't see God, but you can imagine him just being like, Samuel, Samuel, Ooh. speak, for your servant is listening that's how close God comes. God's, God's desire is for us to hear him, for us to come to know him and understand him. Just like Samuel, God is patient and persevering with us today. I mean, is, is that how you picture God speaking to you? Do you give him time to speak to you? Do we have time where we stop and like Samuel says, say, speak, for your servant is listening. Like, if I get my diary out, I just look at it and go, it's so full of the next meeting, or the next church thing, or something I've gotta do at work, or having this person over for dinner, and it's just so full, and it's the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, and I just collapse into bed at night, and go, God, I'm so tired. I just wish that you'd speak to me sometimes. And God responds, I feel, by going, Dave, why are you so busy that you don't give me time to speak to you? So now we've got to the point in the story where Samuel's listened to God and he's like, Speak for your servant is listening. Is that is that the climax? Is that the end of the story? Of course not. I'm gonna let you into a secret about mine and Rihanna's marriage. There's one thing that Rhianne really doesn't like, and it's wet footprints outside of the bathroom, like anywhere else in the house. She doesn't like walking around the house and stepping in something wet and getting her socks kind of wet and damp. And there's one thing that I'm really bad at, and it's remembering to dry my feet after I've had a shower. So I just walk around the house, like splosh, 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 oh no. Now Rhianne's told me many times that she doesn't like wet footprints outside the bathroom she's reminded me of it so i know this is a thing for her is it enough for me to get out of the shower and go ah oh, yeah Rianne doesn't like wet footprints outside of the bathroom but anyway and just walk out of the bathroom with wet feet of course not it shows that i haven't really listened what i need to do is get out of the shower and go Rianne doesn't like wet foot oh, okay dry the feet dry the feet step up, and then just like, walk proudly around the house going, dry feet, really dry feet, so dry I'm going to walk into every room in the house just to show how dry they are. <laughs> to show Rhiann that I've really listened, I've got, to, I've got to apply it and I've got to follow and I've got to obey what she wants me to do. And it's the same with Samuel in this story. To show that he's really listened to God, he has to, he has to do something, he has to obey Now, for Samuel, it's a harder challenge than just drying his feet. Let's read on in the story. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. So it's a little bit heavier than wet feet outside the bathroom. So God tells Samuel he's going to judge Eli and his family But what it also says is God tells Samuel, verse 13, for I told him, so God's referring to Eli here, for I told Eli that I was judged his family. Verse 14, therefore I swore to the house of Eli. So, I mean, God's already told Eli this. We see it at the end of chapter 2. So, what's he telling Samuel for? He's telling Samuel because he wants Samuel to tell Eli. Now, for Samuel, from about the age of three, when he's dropped off on Eli's doorstep, he's been raised by this man. This man is his mentor. Eli's his father figure, and now God says, I want you to deliver this message to Eli. I mean, that's so challenging for Samuel. That's such a hard thing for him to do. And the truth is, when God speaks to us today, it will often be to challenge us. It will often be to ask us to step out in faith and to trust him. So I recently started working for Mosaic Church part-time, which is great, I love it. And at the same time as that happened, I found out that my other part-time role would be coming to an end in July. And I feel like God's saying, are you gonna trust me with your finances? even though your budget says it doesn't look very good, are you gonna trust me? Or are you gonna run around like a headless chicken trying to get money from wherever you can? I don't know the response to that, by the way. It's a few months (laughs) off, so I'll let you know. But do you feel in a similar place today, like God's challenging you about something and it's gonna be hard? Maybe it's, there's that person that I, I sit next to in my lecture theater And they've talked to me about church a couple of times. Maybe, maybe I should invite them to the intro course. Maybe I should invite them to come down to Mosaic one Sunday. It's gonna be hard because I don't know how they're gonna react, but I'm just gonna trust God. Maybe it's you've got a housemate or a family member that just really winds you up the wrong way and they're, you know, maybe it's a family member they're coming to stay this weekend. You just wish they weren't coming because they just wind you up and they just get on your nerves and God says, I want you to show them patience and compassion. And you go, I, I just can't, that's too hard. It's what God asks. Or maybe you're here and you know that God is calling you into a relationship with him for the first time. But you know what that means and it means you're gonna have to give control over to God in all areas of your life. And you go, that's big. To truly hear God. Is to, is to respond to him, to listen to what he's asking you to do. So let's carry on in the story and see what Samuel does. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. It's a good tip for parents. If your kids won't tell you what's going on, that's what you say. (laughs) So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. So this really encourages me because it tells me that Samuel is afraid. Samuel recognizes it's a hard thing, so that, that makes me feel okay that what God might be asking me to do, is, it's okay for me to, to be a bit afraid about that. But it also shows that Samuel obeys. Samuel trusts God and he says, I'm going to do it even though it's scary. Now, Eli is being judged by God because Eli didn't listen to God, he didn't obey, and he didn't stop and rebuke his sons what this story shows is that Samuel is like the opposite of Eli. He does listen to God. He does apply what God said, and he does obey, giving a hard message to somebody who's close to him, the very thing Eli chose not to do. And the final few verses in this chapter shows the fruits of Samuel's actions. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Beginning of the story, the word of the Lord is rare. There are not many visions. End of the story, God's word has come to all Israel. God has used the obedience of this little boy, this 13-year-old boy, to bring his word back to all Israel. And later on in 1 Samuel, we'll see 1 Samuel chapter 7, all Israel comes and repents before God, saying, sorry that we turned aside to other idols. Sorry that we didn't listen to you. God's word returns to Israel, and you see the power of that it has, the whole nation comes in repentance. God's word comes to Israel, and it shows that he's compassionate and loving, and he still wants to have a relationship with his people. So you might be sitting there and going, great, brilliant, really entertaining, good 20 minutes, right, but what does it mean for me today? How am I meant to respond to this today? How am I meant to hear God's word today and apply it? And how how does God show me His character today? How am I meant to listen to Him? There's a few practical examples that I I wanna share with you about how we can hear, how we can listen to God today. And it's it's by no means an exhaustive list. God can speak in so many different ways, through prophecy, through nature, through music, and a a whole other list of ways. I'm just gonna focus on four ways that God speaks to us today. Firstly, God can speak to us through the Bible. So 2 Timothy 3:16 says all scripture is god-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So when we read the bible, that's god speaking to us. It's god revealing his character to us. It's god saying this is what this is what i want to correct you on. This is what i want to train you in. This is where i need to rebuke you. So Do you have a regular rhythm, maybe a daily rhythm or as regular as you can get it, of getting into the scriptures and reading God's word and allowing God to speak to you? And the truth of the matter is on reading the Bible, you will have days where it's going to be dry and where it's going to be hard. And that's fine. Like me and Rhiann have days where our communication just doesn't click. We're not really on each other's wavelengths. But we have other days, and you'll have other days in the Bible, where it just, it just fits, and it's just so life-giving. So recently, I've been trying to wake up in the morning and pick up a psalm, read the psalm, and see what it says to me about God. And for a few days, I was kind of getting up, and it was hard, and it was dry. And then I got up a couple of days ago and turned to Psalm 52, and it's not a psalm that I knew before I read it. And it just had one line in it, and it said, God has unfailing love. And I just thought, oh, I need that today. I need God, and God, I just need you today to, to tell me that you have unfailing love for me. Second example, God can speak to us through other people. So Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. God says, when you meet together, you have an opportunity to spur one another on, to encourage each other. and like a, If you think of a spur as like in a cowboy's boot and it would, you'd kick it into the side of the horse, it would irritate the horse, and it would run faster. And that's, that's what happens when we meet. Like, when I'm, I'm meeting my accountability partner after this, and I'm going to give him license to irritate me, give him license to say, I think God would want to refine that out of you. God would want to look at your pride and just say, Is, are you really living for me, Dave, or are you living for other people's opinion? And initially it hurts, and like, oh, why did you have to say that? I kind of know it's true, but you didn't have to bring it up. But then it helps me to run with greater perseverance towards Jesus. It encourages me to run towards Jesus more. The third example is through preachers. I'm not necessarily saying he's spoken to you through this one, but generally through preachers. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Um, Paul is writing a letter to Timothy, and he commands Timothy. To preach the word so as to correct, rebuke, and encourage. God can speak to us today through other people teaching on the Bible, bringing out different themes, asking questions of us, and helping us to think through things. So there might be a a preacher that you once heard and you went, oh, he was really good. Maybe, Maybe download a few of his preachers and just get into a habit of listening to them on a regular basis. So I do this in in the car on the way to work sometimes, I'll just stick my iPod in, I don't know if that's illegal or not, I stick one headphone in so I can hear the sirens in the other ear. So I stick one headphone in, and uh, I'll be listening to a preach. Now I'm not going to be taking loads of notes, and I'm certainly not going to be closing my eyes and praying at any moment, but... I'm, I'm hearing things about God as I'm driving to work. Little truths or just something I'd never noticed about the passage that the person's speaking on. And it just helps to draw me closer to God and helps me to go, oh God, that's what you, that's what you say in your word. That's what you're saying today. That's, that's part of your character that I need to know today. One of the way God speaks is through our suffering. And I really don't have as long as I would like on this because it's such a major topic but I hope this quote from C.S. Lewis will help you. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. What Lewis is saying is that when everything in life is going okay and it's going well, often God's voice is just like a little whisper just at at the back. You can barely hear it because, let's face it, you might feel like you don't really need him in those moments. Lewis goes on to say maybe we hear God more in our, in our conscience when we're trying to say, when, we're, when we're coming up to a decision and we're trying to say, right, what's the right decision? What's the wrong one? What's good and what's evil in this circumstance? We might hear God speaking then. But what he ends up by saying is God shouts in our pains. When we're struggling and it feels like we're going through the darkest places, God shouts to us, to remind us that he's still there, that he still loves us, that he doesn't abandon us. I'm not saying, so if you're you're in a difficult time today, I'm not saying necessarily that you're gonna feel like God's saying that to you today. But if you look back at times when you've suffered in the past, I hope you see that you come out of those times and you look back and you go, oh man, God was with me in that. God has taught me through that. God was showing his love to me, even if I didn't recognize it at the time. Before I became a Christian and just after I became a Christian, I suffered really badly from depression. I would have such dark days where I just didn't want to get out of bed and I didn't want to face the day. And I look back on those times now and I go, oh God, you were so close to me then. You were giving me the energy to get up on those days when I just didn't want to. And I know that he's shaped and molded my character through that suffering more than he has through so many days, weeks, months of everything in my life going okay. I've got more patience. I can value good days more than if I hadn't gone through that time. But the most important thing you guys need to hear, if you haven't taken anything from this preach, pay attention now. Because while I've talked to you today about God speaking audibly to this boy, Samuel, and, and through that, bringing his word back to Israel and restoring the people, and now that I've given you some practical ways you can hear God's voice today, the temptation is you all go home and you sit by the side of your beds this evening and you go, speak for your servant is listening. And I'm going to be honest, you may still be met with what you feel like is silence, and you may still feel like you tuned into the wrong radio station. But I want to read from Hebrews chapter 1, because it's such an important thing that we remember. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. So 1 Samuel chapter 3 is an example of that, of God speaking to Samuel, but... So you might be sitting here and you're going, I just don't hear God speak today. It just feels like there's a silence. And I've tried, I've tried you four ways of doing it and I still feel like there's a silence. And the truth you've got to take home with you is that God has spoken to each and every person in this room. With Jesus coming and making his dwelling among us, God has given, given us a way that we can know his character and his personality exactly. In Jesus's life, we see what it looks like for God to live a perfect life, the life we could never live. At the cross, we see what it means for, for God to truly love us, to pay the penalty for our sin. When Jesus is on the cross crying out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. In the resurrection, we see the power of God raising Jesus from the dead, showing that the cross worked and our sins have been paid for. And now we know that, and in the resurrection, we see that Jesus now reigns in heaven at the right hand of the majesty. What you need to know is that God has spoken to you. At the cross, at the foot of the cross, we hear God say to us, you are so loved My grace just is there and it's available for you. I desire to be in a relationship with you so much that I'd send my son to die on a cross. God does speak today, but we also need to know that God has spoken and the true picture of the word of God is Jesus on a cross dying for our sins. I'm gonna invite the band back up in a minute, but would you would you just end with by praying with me? (coughs) Heavenly Father, I I thank you so much that you're a God who desires relationship with us. I thank you, Lord, you're a God who communicates. You're a God who wants to show us your character and your personality. I thank you, Lord, for the story of 1 Samuel and what it shows us about how you speak to us with such patience, such perseverance, such intimacy. I thank you that you still speak to us today through so many different ways and different means. But Lord, I thank you most of all that you have spoken to us. Through the cross, through your son dying for our sins, you've spoken so many truths to us. Lord, I pray that as a church we'd be rooted in your words we be rooted in the name of your son and what he's done for us in jesus name we pray amen